Hey, Reading Lens listener, Jason Banzoff here, producer for the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. I want to talk to you about a few things before we kick off this episode. We're going to be ending 2022 with some great Reading Lens episodes. And then in 2023, we got a treat for you. Reading Lens will become the group takeaways with Nick Lindsay. Nick has some great things lined up, so make sure you keep an eye out for the great things coming out in 2023. We can't wait to put these out. So until then, enjoy this Reading Lens classic. Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the small group network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hey, Small Group Network. Welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad you chose the time to hang out with us. Here is how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have with us a guest who's also a Small Group's point person to share with you insights from books we are reading what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives leadership for our small groups today we have with us jw hilliard jumping on a podcast from peachtree city in georgia welcome jw thanks thanks so much uh, it's good to be with you nick yes i'm so glad you're here jw is a groups director at southside church where he has held this role since 2017 which is quite enough the same year that we met we first met at the lobby um, and then we were able to reconnect which is awesome because my church ended up joining the north point partnership which is also your church is a part of as well. So um, shout out to the fabulous Tracy Adfield who keeps us connected. And I'm, I've been trying to get her on for so long. Um, I'm, I think I'm she'd really... probably do fabulously. I mean, she's, yes. she would do great. Yeah. Yeah. And or get her and Cliff on, I think would be fantastic. Cause every time I get to talk to them, there's just so much great wisdom that they have. To share. No, that would be fun. So, hey, what got you interested in, uh, in small groups? So, Honestly, it, it's exactly what we want for people. You know, I was in my 20s. We just married and ended up in a church that was, I was fortunate enough in the early 2000s, we're doing small groups. And so I ended up in a small group and I just really kind of found a place of acceptance and belonging. And you know how that story goes, like you're in it mm-hmm. for a little while. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, I, I think you, you know, you seem to be pretty invested here. You, you have a home, yeah. you have a pulse. Maybe you should leave this small group. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I uh, I got kind of thrown into the deep end of hosting a, a group in our home, and then then we led, and it was fantastic. Actually, it just it really that whole group experience. Not mm-hmm. that it was perfect, but it really challenged me in my faith, and it really is why I have an adult faith now. So yeah, that's awesome. And you live in Peachtree City. What do you love about Peachtree? Okay, so I kind of live right around Peachtree City. and But the funny thing about Peachtree City is it has 90 miles of golf cart trails. And oh, so, man. Yeah, you can get anywhere, literally anywhere in uh, in the city on a golf cart. And so, you know, you'll go up to a fast food restaurant and there'll be golf cart hookups. And uh, like the Gosh. local high school, it has yeah. it has a full parking lot that is dedicated to golf carts. It's, it's insane. And... It's fun. It, it's yeah. just a great place to raise kids. So that's fantastic. What's it, and what's the best golf cart you've seen or most creative? You know, I mean, there are some some crazy ones. I mean, like pretty much everybody tricks them out. Uh, July Fourth, there's this huge, huge golf cart um, parade. I mean, the golf cart life here is they do it hard. That's amazing. JW is also a former blogger for the Small Group Network. Do you have a favorite blog that you wrote while, during that season? Yeah. So I mean, I. I I just love being a part uh, of the network and, and, and writing. Uh, it's kind of one of the things that I like to do. And 
Um, but there was one that I felt like was helpful. You know, a lot of times we, we need practical tools. There was one that I wrote on some apps that were really helpful to mm. me as a groups director. And I think yeah. even would be helpful for some group leaders, but, but particularly as a groups director, it was very helpful for communication, yeah. for all that stuff. So, um, that one was a, that one was one that was helpful to me. Yeah. I, I'm usually in that book too, man. I'm always looking for like, you know, you, I, I find the, the latest app and then I'm like, gotta be something else better out there. Cause you always <laughs> run into like every app has their problems, right. Or their downfalls. And you're like, man, I just wish this app and this app could come together. It'd be amazing. But yeah, that's, that's pretty great. I'll have to link to that in the description for everyone. Um, and then yeah. last question before we get started, what do you appreciate about the small group network? Man, I mean, you know, just kind of keeping that blog theme, I I think just the resources. I know early on, I, I've i been doing groups for about uh, 11 or 12 years now. And I remember whenever I first got into groups doing this kind of as a job and I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I don't know that I, I really got it all figured <laughs> out now. I don't. But, but I definitely didn't know what I was doing 12 years ago. And so having this repository of resources and people, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people even being a resource, but, but having some of that content of people who have just are a little further along than myself and could help guide the way that was so helpful. Uh, I think still helpful. Like I, I'm looking at those yeah. resources all the time. Yeah. I also think it's so great too. Like the, the resources are awesome and people from all over the country and all over the world that are helping out to provide those resources, but they're also approachable. That's the thing that yeah. I've just really appreciated about small group network too, is, you know, not only are they willing to share like, Hey, here's how I arrived here, but it's like, Hey, can you take a 10 minute call and I can ask you a couple more questions about this? And like, it's been rare that I've ever gotten turned down by someone. Yeah, no, I mean, that is, that is the thing. Like, you know, a lot of these places you see somebody writing something and you're like, Oh, they, yeah. But here it's like, Oh, actually their phone number is, is somewhere very accessible <laughs> for me to get to. Yeah. Or they're in that Facebook group that it's just so easy to get yeah. touch with. No, the Facebook group is great. So I do have to give our listeners a little warning today. Uh, I'm recording at the office and our office is on a busy street. So you may hear some fire trucks and some backing up noise and other stereotypical city noises <laughs> that you might hear. So, well, JW, you picked a great book for us to learn from today. Could you share a little bit about the book? Sure. We're going to be talking about Made to Stick. And this is, this is, not necessarily a brand new book, but it is a fantastic book about communication. And so much of what we do is communication. So much of what mm -hmm. our jobs are is, is, is influencing people through, through how we communicate. And so it's just been a really helpful book for me. Yeah. Same here. I, I, um, I picked this book up several years ago. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Usually I have our guest pick out the book and I kind of nudged JW into this one a little bit more. He wanted to do another and Dan Heath book, and I already had this one, but just hadn't had the chance to finish it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did take a little bit of a shortcut, but um, I still think we, we, we ended up with a great book because, like you just said, all of us have to be communicating all the time. And this book does a really great job of sharing how can we take these ideas that we want to share with others and how can we you know help those ideas stick. So yeah, this book outlines into six things that we need to do in order for our ideas to and this is going to be our outline for today. So let me cover those six and then we're going to go into each one. So the six of the outline are simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional, and stories. So if you were able to put this together in your mind, it actually spells out an acronym, which is success. And then they put like a little S because they don't have another S, but it works. Um, I actually really appreciate that even though it doesn't spell success, they didn't force a seventh one. Um, I think I really appreciate that. Um, as it's going along. So 
Let's start with the first one, which is simple. So JW, what are the things that we need to know about making an idea simple? If you have to say it in more than a few few sentences, then it's probably not Mm -hmm. simple. If you don't really, aren't able to really kind of succinctly share the crux of the idea, then that's so complicated and so convoluted that uh, people begin to fill in meaning whenever they don't necessarily know what to do. And there's this idea of commander's intent uh, Mm -hmm. that they talked about. And I'm a a former military guy and commander's intent is just basically this idea of, hey, we're going to have a plan. We're going to get going. You know, we've we've done our work. We've done our due diligence. But we know in the fog of war that plans break down. So what are we actually trying to accomplish? And I think that kind of helps us boil down to even whenever we're making our plans and whenever we're doing our processes, not only how we end user communicate, but kind of like, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are we? What is what is this all about? If you're hosting an event or you're going through some curriculum or you're doing what, what, what are we actually trying, hoping to accomplish in this time? And that should be able to be boiled down into a sentence or two. And so I think that idea of what is the, what is the bottom line? What is the lead? Yeah. If we're talking about, we're talking about like news articles, news articles, mm-hmm. they have the lead. There's a hook that gets you invested into the story. And even if you weren't to read the entire article, you would get kind of the gist yeah. of the article from the lead. They talk about it in the book about it being an inverted triangle. I think that's a great yeah. picture. Like kind of the most important, the biggest, the biggest chunk stuff is at the top, like that base of the triangle, because it's upside down as at the top. And then it slowly works its way down to more of the minutiae details. You yeah. know what? Which can be interesting. Like, in fact, sometimes those details can be super interesting. But maybe not super important. Yeah, and I think finding the core is just super important, too. I actually learned this principle a while ago from uh, Bill Donahue. So Bill Donahue, I guess Mm -hmm. Dr. Bill Donahue. Yes, Dr. Bill Donahue. (laughs) Um, But what he was sharing with me is, you know, he had these worksheets for trainings. And the first thing that you see at at the top of the training was, all right, what is the one thing you want people from your training to walk away with? And it's been interesting to, like, take that that idea and that concept into, you know, not just the trainings that I have, but, you know, emails that I get sent out, you know, any sort of message that I want to communicate is what is that one thing I want them to know? And I think what's great about that is when you're able to identify what that is, I think then your communication throughout the rest of it is going to, is going to anchor off of that one core concept. So it then helps you with yeses and nos of like, we need to include this in the training or is this a distracting point and we need to take it away? Um, so I think that's, that's super helpful. I, I've also found it really beneficial for my community leaders, which you guys may call them coaches. We call them community leaders here. Um, I love sharing that core message that we're going to share that at our next training. So when I said like the, here's the one thing I want them to take away, that's what I'm going to share with my coaches so that when they are meeting with their people, we do like little breakouts in our training. They know like, okay, I want to hammer these kind of points home so that they leave here with this one concept in mind. That's good. Kind of in that light and even thinking about like uh, Dr. Bill's, yeah, his training philosophy. We have like a, a thing that we do here. Um, basically, where all of our all of our jobs have a one sentence job description. Mm. And what I think is so awesome about that um, yeah. is... It can get really, really easy to get yourself invested in a lot of things that are not part of uh, what your core responsibilities are because they're important. You know, they're meaningful and maybe they're meaningful to us. 
but I can get, at least myself, I can get so far off topic that anything can really fit into my job description. But whenever I go back to that one sentence, this is just the simplicity of what it is that I really was hired to do. It's what it is that I'm really here uh, part of that I think that just communicates to me, even to me, what I need to be about, what I need to be doing. And so, um, yeah, I, I think keeping those simple, sticky messages, simple, um, yeah, you know, kind of core messages about what it is we're trying to accomplish is so important. Yeah, I think it's that same concept that you just shared there. So like the simplicity, what it helps with is it helps us with the yes and no's as we move further down this this line of like, do we include this? Do we not include this? So like your one line description with job, do I, should I action this or should I not action this? Like, is this my responsibility? Yeah, basically my job is to invest in adult growth and connection at Southside. That's awesome. So when I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, I just boil down. I wonder sometimes if mine's a little too broad. I just say help people belong. Like my whole core being like, I just want to help people belong. So, you know, how do I, how do I help them go from those rows and into circles is is a big part of that. So, but I mean, what's great about that is if you were spending a lot of time developing curriculum. Yes. Oh yeah. It's not necessarily core to that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's a, thank you for that empowerment. I, yeah, (laughs) Gonna bring that into my next career development meeting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Get me out of content now. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, you know, like sometimes we do things that are outside of our kind of primary role. But if you're spending, yeah. let's just say, even ten hours a week on that, that's that yep. wouldn't necessarily fit into that belonging piece. No, that's that's totally true. It's it's uh, yeah, that's that's definitely the case. I'll I'll say this alone. This chapter itself is worth the price of admission on this book. Cool. Well, let's move on to the next one. The next one is unexpected. So in the unexpected, we are looking to get our audience's attention through surprise. So we want to break the pattern. Um, We all come in with these guessing machines and, and we want to kind of uh, break that and, and, you know, kind of give them a surprise. So uh, this is interesting. You know, one of the things that really helped me with this, this, the example they use in this book is from this college that uh, there was a journalism course and they each had to write a story on the same topic and it was all designed to teach them about not bearing the lead. So I realized we just talked about that in the simple part, but I think it really comes through here in the unexpected. And the example that they used was that all of the teachers were going to go to a conference this next week. And therefore there was going to be no school. Everyone who went to go write that story started writing about like all the details of this conference and, you know, down in about four or five paragraphs, it was like, there'll be no school for the students. And um, I don't think they put it that bluntly, if I remember from the example. No, no, I don't even think it was that explicit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just like, you know, they're going to be there from these days kind of thing. And um, what this journalism professor taught was that like, no, move the most important thing right to the start. And so he started with, there'll be no school next Thursday. Because then that makes it go, it makes all of us go, no school next Thursday. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, like because this is student I, paper, right? Like, so, like, yeah. what's most important to the students? Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting when I, I read that. It was that night or that next day? I had to write an email and let all of our group leaders know that we have an issue at our church right now where all of our groups are at capacity, um, which is really surprising. It has more to do with us not having enough leaders, which you may relate to. Um, but we've now had to start waiting lists for our groups. Um, so that people, when they're, you know, when people drop off of these rosters, they're able to get into these these spots that are available. And so I had to reach out to our leaders and I had to communicate a bunch of things of like, 
all right, what are, what do we need them to do? Um, and then what are we doing in a part of that? And so like, I'm looking for the lead and I ended up coming up with all the seats available for our evening women's groups are reserved. Like, and just starting with that as like, mm-hmm. I needed it to be a celebration, but then I also needed to be able to cast vision from that. And so like trying to think of like, what is the most important thing in here? And can I put that right at the start to, to grab their attention? Um, and hopefully somewhat of an unexpected way. Yeah. I, and I think what's beautiful about that is it's simple too. Like it's, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not convoluted. You get right to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot around here with story branding and oh yeah, sometimes, you know, and story branding is great. I think sometimes the thing that even like that, this kind of spoke to me rereading this book again is that sometimes I get a little too almost like I want to like build this story We'll mm-hmm. talk about stories later, but we, I want to build the story, but I bury the lead in building the story because, yeah. you know, we're kind of going on that hero's journey. Like we're going on the, like we're trying to take him down a path. And so we have like this little template. Life's hard. We get it. We're here to help. That's yeah. If you read a lot of our messages, a lot of it kind of goes on that, but yeah. we can get so like into this formula that it's like, okay, but what are we actually trying? What is, what is the important message here? Um, so I, I think it's important in even how we do it. If we story brand properly, it's built in and it should be right at the top. But, uh, you know, if we get too formulaic, we can be about the, the cuteness of the, of the formula and not actually, mm-hmm. uh, communicate what needs to be communicated. School's not open on Thursday. Yep. Okay. So, so far we've done simple and then it was unexpected. The next one, the third one is concrete. So mm-hmm. this is now going to help our ideas really give it that solid foundation and one of the things that I think that is important for us to learn from this chapter that really stood out to me was using this concept of Velcro theory for memory. And so that probably doesn't sound very concrete, but um, if you've ever wondered how Velcro works, you have the one fuzzy side and then you have the one rough side. But if you look really closely on that rough side, they all have these little hooks. And so what ends up happening with Velcro is that you put the two together and that little plastic side with the hook grabs onto that uh, the soft side and sticks together. And so they wanted to help teach us this concept that the more hooks that we can give an idea, the better. And I thought that was a really great idea of like, you know, when we start thinking of our ideas, like what are the things, like how can we give people more things for them to hold on to? Uh, mm-hmm. What was the example from this one? That they- well, there were two examples that I had written down anyway. There's one of them that they named like the Mount Hamilton Wilderness. So like they're they're trying to create some land conservation in California because basically they, they find, I think it's like 7% or 11% their land is in uh, significant risk of ecolo- you know, ecological damage. And yeah. like these are wetland shelters and things like that. And so they wanted to to keep to create a program to be able to keep those those protected lands protected, uh, but they couldn't afford to purchase all the land. So uh, there was this one specific area right outside the Silicon Valley. It was kind of like the Brown Hills. They weren't interesting, you know. It wasn't like it wasn't like Yosemite or any of these beautiful areas in California, but they were super super important because uh, they filtered a lot of the water and runoff kind of coming into the valley and. So, but they weren't really named. And mm-hmm. so this group looked on the map and the highest peak in, in the wilderness was called uh, Mount Hamilton. So they 
coined it the Mount Hamilton Wilderness. And now that it had a name, it was actually something on that could be put on somebody's radar. It was all of these people who wanted to begin to protect, you know, there's a lot of people who are interested in conservation in the Silicon Valley. And now there was something nearby them that they could invest in. And so they started even seeing it themselves in literature and it became a tangible, a tangible entity that began to be protected instead of just somewhere for urban sprawl to continue to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for <laughs> filling in there. Yeah. So, it, you know, this, this spends a lot of time talking about how like use more concrete things. So like one of the things they were talking about too, in this book was the difference between high performance, which can be vague and you can't determine and a V8 engine. Right. Yeah. So the V8 is something that's concrete. Um, whereas high performance could be up to the person's discretion. So it's talking about like, using more things to sort of tie things down. So that's why the example of that mountain range and that place that they were trying to preserve, it actually gives it like tangibility and, and allows it to, to stick better. Yeah. Well, there's another example that I think is that plays out in groups was they had the manufacturing example and then they had the assemblers in, on the front lines actually trying to trying to make sense of these drawings that the, the, manu- the, the engineers had made. And so the assemblers come back to the engineers and tell them, hey, this part just doesn't fit. So the engineer, first thing that they do is they jump to the drawings and they begin to fix the drawings and they begin to like make the drawings right. And then they try to make more detailed drawings. And so they're getting more and more abstract. And so they're trying to explain to somebody who doesn't even really understand mechanical drawings how simple it is through a more abstract concept. When really that assembler is just wanting them to come down and see, show me where on this place that I'm supposed to put this part. And I think that for me, like with particularly with our group leaders, sometimes we give them abstract ideas. We talk about these ideas of community and they really just want us to fix the part or they really just want us to step into the situation that they're trying to solve. Like, I actually have a real problem right now. Can you help me with this real problem? Yeah. Not the abstract idea of community. Yeah. That's a really good connection there. And, and you just saying that also makes me think too, like where I've seen this be successful or where groups kind of fail is like, Hey, we want you to share your stories. Right. Um, right. And I think when we give them more narrowed uh, perspective on that. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things I did with my own group that was super helpful was, Hey, what I want you to do is share a difficult time that you had. And what was the Bible verse that helped get you through that period? And like unknowingly what I ended up doing by giving it that concreteness is, I ended up having like eight preachers in my group, not like actual preachers, but like, right, right, you would right. think these guys aren't usually great at like sharing scripture and things like that. But then when they're able to tie that to a story and, and it be tangible, it's just, it was awesome to see how they were able to do that because, all right, I narrowed it down. And it's like, oh no, I've been through this and here's the verse that I used in that season. Mm. So I think, I think that might be a good way too. And, or, you know, we say, Hey, we want you guys to go hang out with your groups outside of group. I think sometimes you may need to give them more specifics as to what that might look like. I think sometimes if it's too broad, they, they'll sit there and do on it too long when it's just like, just pick a restaurant and go eat out together. <laughs> right. You know, something that, yeah. that gives it a little bit more, more concreteness. Go grab ice cream. Yeah. So. That's, I think anytime that we can make it more concrete like that, here's exactly how you do it. I think we have much better engagement. Uh, oh, and then one other thing that we should include about this chapter that's super important. I don't know how this keeps happening in the books that we pick, but Saddleback keeps being in all of these examples. I think this is why Inside Saddleback right. is, is 
a great podcast that we have or show here on, on the Group Talk podcast because um, these are future ideas. They're going to be in books that we read, but they talk about how helpful Saddleback Sam is. And for those who haven't read Purpose Driven Church, they talk about Saddleback Sam inside that. What's great about Saddleback Sam is that they were talking about how it helps their staff really think through the ideas as to whether this is going to be a good idea for the type of person who goes to their church. And they use this in a way to help their staff give more of those hooks. So this is a way that like, you know, if I think of everyone in Southern California, I'm going to think of a wide variety of people. But when you define Saddleback Sam, your your person that you're trying to reach then becomes more concrete. So I think that was a, a really great example that they had in there too. So far, we have covered simple, unexpected, concrete, and we have three left. And the next one is credible. So in credible, we are helping people to believe. This is where the statistics are going to come in. So external credibility, you know, what are the different sources that we have? And then internal credibility as well. And there's one story in here in particular that I would really love to, to highlight that I think is, is super helpful. And um, it was this peace group that was really trying to show to people the impact of how many nuclear weapons that we have uh, in this world. And at the time, this was like in the 80s. So who knows what it is now? In the 80s, it was 5,000 nuclear warheads, which is enough to destroy the entire planet. And they wanted a symbolic way to show this. So they got a metal bucket and they just got BBs. And the person just started putting in one BB at a time. Um, and every time that it would go in there, you'd hear like the tink of it hitting the side of this metal bucket that they had. And then she dumps in 5,000 BBs and it just really brings it home of like, oh my gosh, that's so much. Because for most of us, when we think of like 5,000 warheads, like it, it doesn't really hit home to us per se. Um, so I just love that. Like, this is a great example of, of, I actually think this is a better example of why visuals are important in our trainings or in our communications. Um, and making things more tangible. JW, do you have another example of this, of the visuals that, that stood out to you? Yeah, so back in the, the 90s, there was a, a group, I think it was the CSCI, or it, it, was a, it was a scientific group that looked at kind of public products and looked for areas where we could improve. And one thing that we found were that movie theater popcorn was really bad for you. Like, I mean, like mm -hmm. significantly bad. I think was 37 grams of saturated fat per one medium-sized bag of right. movie theater popcorn. But what is 37 grams what is of 730 saturated grams, right. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, like, you could say, well, USDA recommends that you have no more than 20 grams of saturated fat. But even that, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's not that much more, right? Yeah. So they had this really creative idea where they lay out exactly what 37 grams or what is less than 37 grams. And it was started with breakfast and it was eggs and bacon and just the full trimmings of a, of a eggs and bacon breakfast. Then for lunch, it was a big Mac and fries. And then for dinner, it was a steak dinner with all the trimmings. And yeah. they come, they have this one shot before, uh, before the press to say like, this is how bad movie theater <laughs> popcorn is for you. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I like popcorn, but I would love a full day's like meal <laughs> like that. Yeah. Way more than movie theater popcorn. And and that message just went viral. So it was on CNN and it was on Fox and it was on NBC. 
Mm-hmm. And the message got out that movie theater popcorn was not only bad for you, it was like really bad for you. And I think having that, that, that concrete, that tangible, that credible view, mm-hmm. because here you have the statistics to back it up, but you have this pictorial evidence uh, to share. And I think about like, man, if we're group leaders or we're groups directors and we communicate exactly how bad we, we all have the statistics about how, how much community changes our lives yeah. and how, and how bad, much yeah, loneliness, how much loneliness can cause just irreparable harm to our health. And like, uh, you know, like worse than smoking, worse than all of these other vices, man, what if we were to show some of those pictorial examples? What are we, if we were just to display, okay, here's what eating what you want. And here's what a life of sedentariness. And here's what smoking two packs a day for the next 20 years, go ahead and put it on a table. And you know what? Loneliness fits right on that table. I think that communicates something to me that, um, that maybe goes beyond just like, Oh yeah, loneliness is bad for you. Cool. All right. So let's hop on to number five, which is emotional. Just to bring us back again. It was simple, unexpected, concrete, credible. And now we have emotional. When we talk about emotional, we're talking about making people care what we have to share. You guys are all group leaders. I'm sure you've heard this before, but there's that wonderful phrase. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think this fits in here a lot. Um, and they start with this really great example from Mother Teresa and a principle that she had in her own life, which was, you know, if I look at one, I will act. So she talked about how, you know, sometimes we can look and we can see how big a problem is and we see the size of that problem and we're not really able to act, right? Or we kind of get stalled. But if we think about one, maybe it makes a difference. And so, you know, a great example here is Hoboken has 60,000 people living in it, right? And if I think, oh man, we need to go out and impact 60,000 people, it's a lot harder for me to think about how am I going to do that than, okay, my neighbor, Scott, how am I going to impact my neighbor, Scott? Um, and mm. so they talked about the power of, it's interesting like that this isn't in story, but they talked about how nonprofits have really found a way to help people get connected to cause when they're able to tell one person's story as opposed to telling you know, the whole, the whole collective, uh, story. So they were sharing, this is how world hope and, and compassion has stumbled on the importance of sponsoring a child as opposed to sponsoring world hope and compassion and how, when it's tangible and you have that one person that you're trying to impact the difference that it makes. Yeah, no, I think just having that name, it's, it's a person that Mm -hmm. you're helping, you know, you have the card, you have the ability to like put tangible handles on it. And I know that they, they shared in here, they shared about how much of a difference, like a statistical difference, whenever they talked about, you could help someone in Africa by helping feed them because they, yeah. you know, they, they had, they were in a need and you could help a little girl with an actual name. And there was an actual need that you can meet for her. Uh, yep. That was, and there was a statistical difference in how much they helped. So, yeah. You know, how do we take this concept? What does this concept look like inside our groups? Well, you know, I think that your hopebook and example is, is a good one. So, you know, mm-hmm. making it tangible to the individual. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So later on in this chapter, one of the other things I think is worth pulling out that, that we can use is they talked about this thing called the curse of knowledge, mm-hmm. which is where we just start assuming that everyone else thinks the same way that we do. 
And I couldn't help reading this without thinking like, man, does the church, like we fall into this a lot where that we, we assume that our leaders or we assume that our group members, you know, know exactly what we're talking about or that they're passionate about the same things. They use this brilliant example of these, it's called the Defenders of Duo Piano. And it's going through this case and they're, they're making their examples. And as they're going through it, like I fell right into the trap because they were talking about how this, how duo piano isn't the same thing as dueling pianos. And I was like, oh man, they spent like, like three of my minutes, like trying to talk to me about this case. And I totally thought it was something else, but it was, it's this like actual instrument. So anyways, why am I telling this story? I, I think it's important when we think through what we're communicating is like, am I grabbing enough of their interest in order to, um, help them understand this. Can I appeal to their self-interest? So the what's in it for me is really important for them uh, to, to help people connect with ideas. And then appealing to their identity, I think is really important. There's a really good example in there too about how um, at one period in the 80s, uh, Texas really struggled with litter. And this great campaign came out that was called Don't Mess With Texas, Texas Don't yeah. Litter. And they were able to grab like actually like famous Texans um, that use some of the Cowboys and things like that, the Dallas Cowboys to, to do their commercials. And they were talking about like, if they had got Sylvester to Stallone, who's macho, but not Texan, like the message wouldn't connect, but they were able to like tap into that Texas pride in order for people to take pride in, in uh, where they are. And they ended up, they reduced litter in this one campaign by like 85%. I have no idea yeah. whose job that is, by the way. That's got to be a bizarre one to like, like, oh, we've reduced, we've reduced litter like 85%. I counted like, all the pieces of litter and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we're having 85% reduction. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the thing about that example to me um, yeah. is, you know, they talk about like, we're all self-interested people, like, mm -hmm. and we're appealing, this emotional idea is appealing to our own self-interest. But sometimes it's not really like, we don't always make truly self-motivated decisions. Yeah. A lot of times it's about the type of person I see myself as. So like that whole, that whole idea of a type of a Texan, like I'm a macho Texan, like I'm a macho yeah. uh, guy because it was a certain group of Texans that were littering more. Right. And so it's like, no, the type of guy like that, like I'm this person and someone like me acts this way. And yeah. so they got actual people who, or representative of who they are, like you exactly. said, it couldn't have been Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's like, it's appealing to how they want to be perceived. Yeah. A person like me doesn't litter. And that changed. I mean, it was amazing. In fact, yeah. uh, what was even more amazing to me about that, that uh, example was that they had this whole enforcement policy that was going to come behind it. Oh yeah. After they didn't the need ad it. campaign and they didn't even need it. And so, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. about, I'm thinking about that, like um, even appealing to our group leaders, a, you know, like you can kind of appeal to group leaders in a, as a, Hey, a group leader like me acts a certain way. Um, and this is why it's important. I think as well, I, I'm hearing you, know, you talk about this. Um, so I see so many churches using stock photography and it's people that don't even go to their church. Right. And I feel like you're, it's really yep. hurting you when you're trying to get them into the community and they see people who don't even look like them. Right. Um, or it's clearly a home that doesn't yep. exist where they are. Like, I think there's something special about showing something local and showing something that they can see themselves in because you're appealing to what is them. And when we, we, 
everyone uses this one shot of like there's a uh, a group of people sitting out on a pier, and then you see Lower Manhattan behind it, and I'm just like, you guys are in Topeka, like why are you using this photo? Like I yep. get that it's a beautiful picture of like young people in community, but like there's got to be a better way that you guys connect um, to your audience. So I think that's a, a really good example of like yeah. how to tap into that as well. And I think this emotional thing ties in so so easily into the last one, which is story. So last but not least is story. Mm-hmm. And I hope you all, I hope you already understand the power that is telling stories in our community. Um, but what does this book say in particular of why stories are so effective? Yeah, I, I think it's because it gets people to act mm-hmm. like um, stories move us, uh, move us to action. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, some of the things that it tries to teach us is why they're so important as well. So they talked about how stories as a simulation and those tell people how to act. I think the thing is stories yeah. of simulation that really tracked my mind when it came to groups in our church is that do we, are we able to sort of paint the picture well for a potential group member to see themselves attending group before they get there? I think that's one of the things I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting when I read through that is like, oh, like we're just kind of expecting them to know what this is like and what they're going to experience. And I wonder if we can help them simulate that ahead of time as to what they're going to, uh, how they're going to react. And so they use an example in there too of flight simulators and how important they play in that. Like it helps people to practice before they get into the real thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's VR groups, but you know, there's gotta be something out <laughs> yeah. there that, that sort of helps communicate. And I, yeah. a lot of that's just going to be through the stories that we tell. Right. And not, maybe we don't leave out the details of like, yeah, so typical group looks like where I show up and I do this. Uh, kind of thing. And it talks about like stories as inspiration. And I think this is one in the church that we're super good at. It uses Jared from Subway. Um, I realize Jared has left a bad taste in people's mouths. I'm going to talk about it, but we, I'm just imagine this, uh, how inspiring it is that a 425 pound person lost over 200 pounds by eating fast food. And so just talking about the, the element of surprise. And so it, it said, like, look for three key plot points when you tell stories. The first one is challenge which is to overcome obstacles. Second one is connection, which is to get along or reconnect. And then the last one is creativity to inspire a new way of thinking. Um, so, hey, one last thing I want to do before we, we wrap up, um, I think it's important when it comes to stories, how do we capture stories? And and I know you and I are fortunate at our churches to have these teams that, that record stories. So do you have any tips for for our listeners, if they don't have teams in order to capture stories? Yeah, you know, the new Apple, have you seen the Apple commercials for the iPhone 13? I know. <laughs> um, they're okay. So they're like, they're shooting like what looks like production quality, uh, videos. Like, I mean, it's like they are movies and they're capturing on, on these phones and like, mm-hmm. I'm never going to be a director. I'm never going to like be doing some sort of movie production. However, I'm sitting around with this high power device to capture all kinds yeah. of things right in my pocket. Yeah. And you don't and even need an Apple, just, the, the latest one. You don't even like, need an Apple. Like, yeah. Yeah, like that's, that's not the point. The point is. Like this was, that was the unexpected point to me. It was like, Hey, like here there's, they start off and it looks like they're filming a video and then zooms back in. It's your phone. Well, I mean, just writing down notes. Like Mm -hmm. I know whenever I was reading this book, all I did was I pulled out my note app and I started jotting down notes, but, but even like maybe I'm leaving a one-on-one with the leader and I make myself a voice memo, uh, reminding myself of the story they just told me, or maybe I say, Hey, do you mind if I capture that? Can I? get this voice memo from you um, because yeah, it might be a little awkward to sit there if you're in a restaurant and you're having yeah. a conversation and let me film you, but 
hey, do you mind if I just do you mind if I just like capture this on audio? Because how awesome would it be to have a very raw audio version of this awesome story to share at your next training? Yeah, um, I think it's good too because yeah, then, then if you do have if they do have to re-record it, it's great. But it, it's while it's fresh on their memory, I think it, I think it's super helpful. I can't remember who taught me that. It was someone in the small group network who was just telling me like capture those stories immediately, like while you have them present. And I started doing that. Yeah. It's just been super powerful. And what's it? What's great about it too is like you know you may record it and it's not great quality, but it doesn't mean that you can't you know translate it or turn it into a blog or turn it into some other medium um, to be able to to communicate that out. And um, I feel like good stories people for, forgive a lot when it comes to like the quality of things like. They ultimately care about what those, what those, um, what that end result is. So, any other final thoughts on this book? You know, I think the thing that really sticks out to me is it doesn't matter who we're communicating to. If it's mm-hmm. teams in our church, if it's our staffs, if it's our small group leaders, or you know, just a general audience, the better we communicate, the more the more it actually sticks, yeah. and the better that we. Um, kind of just refine our messages, uh, the better we're going to be at, at doing our jobs, but also the better that our groups are going to be because they're going to understand exactly what we're asking them to do. And yeah. so I would just encourage you, like, pick up the book. Um, yeah. It's it's a fantastic resource. I think it, it feels like a ministry resource to me. It's, um, <laughs> yes, you know, I know it's written for, for all audiences, but I feel like yeah. for church leaders in particular, it is such a great, great yeah. question. I would just say that I think the biggest thing I learned from this is just, can you boil down quickly what it is that you want them to take away and then being able to focus on that. So I I think so much of our trainings, I remember a few years ago at realizing like, Oh, I really need to stick to what are the, what's essential and not what's Mm -hmm. nice to have so much of the time inside of my, inside of my trainings. It's like, Oh, well, if you run into this issue, you should do this. If you run into this issue, you should do this and getting away from like, all right, what's the essential or the principle I need to, um, yep. so I, I think that's that's a lot of thing of what this book kind of champions. Great. So, all right, let's yeah. let's finish this up with the lightning round. So, what's another book that you've read recently that's had an impact on your leadership? Sure, yeah. another Chip and Dan Heath book that I haven't read it like really recently, but it it's very impactful. Is the Power yeah. of Moments, and it just talks awesome. about how these small moments. Um, there's a story in there about hotel has a popsicle break. It's just an unexpected surprise and delight. Um, And I think we can incorporate those into our church experiences where we unexpectedly surprise and delight people. We have people showing up at our churches every single week that feel very uncomfortable about coming, even donning the door of a church. Yep. And how can we create that experience to not to be scary? What could be scary and uh, intimidating and flip that script to making it, wow, man, I feel really cared for. I feel like they really wanted me there. So this, the power of moments is a is a great one for you, cool. for church leaders. And what's one you're looking forward to? This is book Jesus and John Wayne. I'm really yeah. uh, looking forward to, to hearing about it. Had so. several people tell me I need to read this, so maybe this needs to be a future one that we have on here. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I I'm not coming in with a whole lot of preconceived notions, so we'll see. <laughs> and I guess we should say what what's the book about? Yeah, so it's just about kind of how white evangelicalism has embraced maybe some things that aren't necessarily what the gospel embraces. Mm. Um, and so I, I think it probably will be a challenging book, you know, because that's, that's who I am. 
Um, I am an evangelical. I've grown up in a suburban church. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we need those things that challenge us a little bit. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, remember, like, I think one of the things too, is like, sometimes people are afraid to read things that are, that are uncomfortable. Like you don't, you don't have to walk away with everything from it. Like, it's okay to read things that you disagree with, but it was like being stretched is, is okay. Well, and I would go further to say, like, if we're not reading things that stretch us, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I think we need to be confident enough to come away with, like, what do we actually believe? And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, not be terrified, not like just be blown by the wind. Yeah. But I think it's super important that we read things that challenge us. Well, JW, I really enjoyed this. Well, I'm Nick Lindsay, and I want to thank you for listening with us. Thank you, JW, for sharing your experiences. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Thanks. Come back next week for Steve and Derek as they give us behind-the-scenes look at what's going on at Saddleback on their show inside Saddleback. Thanks for joining us. Remember, leaders are readers. Take care, everyone. Oh, there you go. All great at the end. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.